0: Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to worship, to reflect on your word, to listen to you, to be shaped by you, to understand what it means to be your disciples and to live in this world. Heavenly Father, help us to think about what you're saying to us today. May your Holy Spirit remind us of the love you have for us, but also may your Holy Spirit help us to see how we can live in this world reflecting your love, reflecting who you are amongst the people we live with. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Today we're focusing on restoring our worldview. And sometimes our perspective of life has been shaped by things that we haven't fully understood or we've misunderstood. Sometimes we think about things in, a, in the wrong way because we have been brought up in a tradition. Now one of the issues that today's reading um, responds to is... Do we live in a world where some things are sacred and other things are secular? And you can see this being played out. And I, I used to, um, when I was going through seminary, look after a place that was a wedding chapel, used for a lot of weddings. Um, and people who had, were coming into a wedding but didn't have much connection with the church, they would be absolutely careful about everything in that chapel because they saw it as a sacred place. And I remember one lady saying to a a three- or a four-year-old, don't go there, God may may tell you off, to scare the child to do the right thing. Well, today's reading actually challenges that sort of thinking, that there are some things in our life that are secular and some things that are sacred and they should be separate. And in fact, if you think about your life, most of us at some stage may have separated things, may have said, oh, God's interested in this, but he's not interested in this. Or I only have to listen to God on these things, but not about these things. Well, today, as we explore this text a bit further and what Jesus is actually saying, we see that that's not the way our Christian God, the God that we know through Jesus, approaches life. From Matthew chapter twenty two, verses twenty to twenty one we hear. And Jesus asked them, Whose image is this? Whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And this text has often been viewed from that perspective that some things are God's and some things are not. Some things are, are Anti-God. So if they're not of God, they're anti-God. Now, if you go back to the culture that Jesus was living in, there was this very difficult situation. You had, um, in Jerusalem, you had the Jewish people, but they were being ruled by Romans. And so there's this struggle that was going on. And there was, in some people's views, there were, you're either good, evil or good. A bit like we approach things like politics. Uh, and I, I, I very carefully venture into the political thing, but I want to say this. Some people, the way they approach politics, will look at a particular leader and either worship them as the Messiah, think they are fantastic, they could not do a thing wrong, or they are totally evil, the devil incarnate. I would encourage you, when we're looking at our political leaders, when we're looking at people, to thank God for them, as we're called to do in the Scriptures, to recognise the good things they are doing, but also recognise that they are not perfect, that they do sin, that they, they are not purely holy. The challenge we have is that most of the things that we have in life are gifts from God, but they become a problem. They become a problem when we misuse them. I remember years ago thinking about how can you um, talk about this and one gentleman got up and said, "Uh, the way to talk about this is a knife. The knife, see that as a gift from God. And it can do beautiful things. It can cut up a cake and share that to everyone to help people be fed. Cut up meat. But it can also be used for bad to stab people, to kill people, to hurt people. a little bit more background that helps us unpack what's going on, what Jesus is talking about. Remember um, what I said at the start. The Pharisees and Herodians have come together. Basically, that's the Jewish leaders and those who are the the lobbyists, the the loyal people to Rome, to Herod. Now, normally they would be at opposition with each other. They didn't trust each other. But they saw Jesus as a real threat. They saw that people following Jesus was a threat to their understanding of life that would undermine how they approach. So both of them got together and said, let's trap, let's trap Jesus. And that was the meaning of the question, you know, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Now, this tax was an imperial poll tax. There was a couple of different taxes, but the one they're talking about was this imperial poll tax. And what it was was a set amount, which is a denarius. And we know from other parts of scripture that a denarius was equal to a day's wage. Average day's wage. Now, if you put to put it in today's circumstance, just have a look, think about what wage you receive, divide it by five, and that's how much that tax was. Right? Um, if you want to know about the average Australian wage, it's roughly about $350. Right? So it's not a small amount, is it? It's quite a large amount. Um And it was imposed on non-Roman citizens. So the Romans that were in the area didn't have to pay it, but the Judeans, the Jerusalem, the Israelites had to pay it. And some people would say, well, they had to actually fund their own oppression. So there was this dislike from the Jewish perspective of this tax. Now, the other interesting thing is that um, Jewish people, and particularly the more orthodox Zealot Jews, would avoid anything with an image. And so they would actually have, um, not, would not be carrying these coins normally, and yet they were able to produce this coin to Jesus. Reminder of what we're focusing on. And Jesus asked them, whose image is this? Whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. On the surface, this does sound like Jesus is saying some things are secular and some things are spiritual. Some things are of God and some things are not. That's what it sounds like on the surface and that's how, you know, I've been in discussions with people who will talk this way. Right? And they'll say, oh, yeah, there's certain things a church shouldn't be involved with. There's certain things that God's not interested in. Now, we've got to be careful. There are certain things, and this happened around the Reformation. The church got involved in the, the politics, the, the actual um, people, but they got involved in the wrong way. We are to be involved in society. We are to be involved in politics, but we are to be involved in a way that God says, the way the Bible instructs us. We're not to use our Christianity as power over others to hurt others. We need a New Testament approach and we're going to talk a little bit about that because this is not what Jesus is saying. If we look closely at what Jesus is saying, he says, so give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God's what is God's. Now the secular spiritual thing would only be true if certain things weren't belonging to God. If certain things weren't from God. But let us remember what we said in our statement of faith. Let us remember what we have in our opening worship. Everything on heaven and earth belongs to God. Everything. Everything is God's. And the Jewish people would have heard when Jesus said that, they would have gone, hold on a moment. And if you remember near the end of this passage, they walked away amazed, a bit dumbfounded. They didn't know how to respond. Most scholars believe they didn't know how to respond because Jesus had highlighted to them everything was God's. Right? Give to God what is God's. From Psalm 24 we hear, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. From Deuteronomy 10:14, which we had as part of our statement of faith, to the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, and the earth and everything in it. And this is not just an Old Testament perspective, this is also in the New Testament for us as well. From First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 26. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's a challenge if you want to separate things and go, is that spiritual or is that not? The other thing to remember, right? When Jesus talks about the image, you know, who's coined. Does it bear? Think about your life. Whose image do you bear? Whose image do you have? From Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we are reminded God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And in Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. As people who have been baptized by God, we bear the image of God. As people who have been created by God, we bear the image of God. So think about the consequences that has for us. If Jesus says, "Give to God what is God, what does it mean for our life? Well, there's an old hymn that says, "Take my life and let it be." Consecrated Lord to thee. And what that talks about is not just part of my life, not just, "Oh look, I'm going to be um, your disciple on Sunday or for this aspect, but this is be I'm going to have my life consecrated to God in every aspect of our lives. So rather than asking, is something spiritual or secular, let us see everything as spiritual. Let us see everything from God with a godly purpose. Think about your entire life. That it is all spiritual. That it's all given to you by God. And that it has a godly purpose. Now the truth is at times it's corrupted because of sin but its main purpose our main focus is for us to listen to God to be guided by the holy spirit and to allow god's spirit to affect who we are in all situations colossians chapter 3 verse 17 reminds us and whatever you do whether in word or deed do it all in the name of the lord jesus giving thanks to god the father through him and this is a challenge for us both as individuals but also as a church and for our church agencies. It's a challenge for all three because instead of going, oh, let's just be the best aged care facility from a worldly point of view, our call is to be the best aged care facility that reflects God. Instead of just being the best school, our call is to be the best school that reflects God. Instead of just being um, another agency of the church, that tries to compare or live up to what other agencies do. Let us be an agency that reflects God, that shares God through what we do. Remember, so rather than asking, is something secular or spiritual, it's a real freeing thing when you see everything. You see everything as spiritual because your mind and your heart starts to ask questions like, well, how does God want me to use this? How can this be a blessing to others? How can this help connect other people to God? So think about your life at the moment. Look at everything and everyone you're connected to. Everything you're involved in and everything you do. And here's two questions for you to think about and reflect on. I'm not expecting you to have the answer now but it's something I'd encourage you to reflect on regularly is what is God calling me to do in this situation what is God calling me to do in this situation now unfortunately some Christians misinterpret this also they'll say oh that means I can neglect everything else so long as I just read God's word and you know focus on God and And they also have a very legalistic approach to God. And I can think of a couple of cases. There was a a business in Tasmania. um, It hit the news. um, And they believed the owners of that were were, confessing Christians, public Christians. But they had what we would say a distorted view of Christianity. And their view was that their business was only here for God and therefore they didn't have to pay taxes. And I'll get to the issue of... Paying taxes in a few moments, and it caused. You know, questions were asked. Well, do you realise what happens with the taxes? You know, how does the roads get built? How does this get done? But I encourage you to think about it. now. Luther, at the time of the Reformation, was asked something similar, and he says, "How does somebody be a, a good Christian cobbler?" And he says, "He doesn't be a good Christian cobbler just by putting a cross on the shoes." In fact, you don't have to do that. He becomes a good Christian cobbler by doing his job well. That's the way you serve and love others. The second question I invite you to think about is, how can I use where I am and what I have for God's glory and to help others know God, to help others see God's image through me? I like to have this perspective, whether it's you know particularly when I' am involved in any church agency, church businesses, how can we be different in the world, different to what's out there in the world, to reflect God, to make it clear that we have a God who loves us, who's a God of grace, and a God who is here for all people, who sent Jesus into this world for all people. So think about your own situation whether it be a workplace. And think about this, how can I use where I am and what I have for God's glory and to help others know God, to help others see God's image through me? What opportunities may arise in the next week or next month or next six months for you to reflect God in a place that God has placed you? And to the taxes issue. And here's the twist. If we are living so that others see God in us and through us, we don't avoid paying taxes. In fact, we shouldn't grumble about paying taxes. We pay taxes. We pay taxes because scripturally God has encouraged us to do so. If you go back a few chapters in Matthew 17, we hear Jesus encourages people, to pay taxes even though they don't really need to do so, but to do so so they don't cause offence. If you go further into the early church, um, you see in Romans 13 this encouragement to pay taxes because it's a way of recognising that the authorities we have over us are only there because God allows them to be there. And that's a real challenge for some people I know. There are some people in authority you think shouldn't be there. But for whatever reason, and I don't know the reason, sometimes I question God, but God has probably got an answer that um, I'll discover one day, that the authorities are only in power because God allows them to be there. The other part of this, the other deeper part of this, is that no authority will outlast God's authority. No authority has more authority than God. And the third thing to think about and to keep in mind it also comes from Romans 13. We pay taxes so governing authorities can fulfill their calling of caring for those who are under their authority. We pay taxes so the government can fulfill its calling to care for people in need, to provide for us. One of the issues and you know, one of the issues that the Romans brought even though they were against Christianity even though they were a big problem for Christianity at times, the Romans brought a real blessing that helped the spreading of the gospel. And that blessing was they built roads so it was easier for people to get around. And Christians were able to use those roads. And those roads were built with taxes. And so this issue about paying taxes for the Jewish people at the time who were against paying taxes... They saw it as an allegiance to Caesar. What our passage today, and Jesus encourages us, and the Christian church encourages us in other parts of scripture, is to see paying taxes is a way of reflecting off. Don't see it as an allegiance to somebody, but it's a way of showing love to others, to allowing others to be loved. So what does this mean for us, this passage mean for us, if we don't treat things as secular versus spiritual, but we see everything as potentially spiritually? has got a, a godly purpose. It will refine the way we approach life and church. And to give you an example of how um, I come across recently you know, in, in during this time in COVID because I've been doing a fair bit of work. I've got a conference this week with other pastors and other mission people are from the Lutheran Church. And we're talking about what it means to be a, a church in COVID and post-COVID times, and I've been preparing for that. And one of the things I came across was a story or two stories of churches of how they have responded to COVID. Um, one church took the view that every rule that, they, that the government placed down was simply from the government. And so they kept looking at ways to get it out, out, around the rules and they kept saying the government's here to attack us and the government's not Christian, right? That was their attitude and approach. And the rules they had to abide by, it would come across as, radio. Neil, you've got to do this. Otherwise you're going to jail or we're going to be in problems. That's how it would come across when they communicated. However, another church took a different perspective. God has given us these authorities. We might not always agree with them, but they are a blessing to us to help us. We thank God for them. Let's look at why we've got these rules. And they understood the rules as a way, following the rules as a way of serving and caring for people around them during these times. But there was one other thing, is the way they encourage their community to follow the rules was wasn't this heavy-handed approach of you've got to do this, otherwise we're in trouble. They mentioned that there were consequences. But they did it with grace. And if people slipped up, they didn't jump on them. They just helped them. A bit like one of the reasons we have masks available if people don't bring masks is so We don't tell people off they haven't got a mask. We just give them a mask. When we see everything as spiritual, that God can be at work in everything, also the way we carry it out is about reflecting God's grace, love and mercy. So let's see everything as God's. And for God has a godly purpose that's connected to salvation and sharing his love. Secondly, living the faith, remember who you are. Remember that you have been baptised. Remember that you are loved by God, that you have been created by God, that you are a child of God, bearing his image in the world. Now, he knows that you're not perfect. He's there to help you. He's there to forgive you. But he's also wanting you and calling you to reflect his image wherever you are. And so allow your life to be shaped so everything you're involved in has a purpose of connecting people with Jesus. Think about how you may connect with people with Jesus. You know, one of the challenges I have um, as a pastor is that we, we have a community here that's great, but at times you think, "Oh, I come across somebody., oh, that person's really not going to fit in here." And what I, my approach used to be, "Oh, you know I'll guide them somewhere else." Or, "I'll, I'll just wait till the time's right." But when, then I remembered something that was important, something I'd preached a number of times: We are not a perfect community. We have flaws. Bad thing, good and bad things will happen here. We have a God who loves us. And the reason we're part of this community is to receive God's love and forgiveness. And so now my attitude is often with people. Come and join us, but don't expect us to be perfect. Right? At times, someone might get under your skin. We're not all the same. And that's the beauty of us is that we're all here because we're not perfect. And God forgives us and God loves us. Allow your life to be shaped. So you have this focus of connecting to Jesus and not worrying about your own self as much, but more worrying about, is this person going to connect with Jesus and his wider community? And that leads me to the last point, is be intentional on helping others see God's image of grace, God's image of forgiveness, God's image of love through you. Be a person who intentionally goes out of your way to think about what does it mean to show God's grace, image, forgiveness? Now, if you're like me, you won't get it always right because things go on. But that's part of the beauty of, surprisingly, give you another chance. You see, when Jesus had these people around him, they were trying to trap him. They were trying to trap him to put him down. To, to get rid of him, to reduce his authority. Jesus used that situation in a way to say, look, remember who you are to the Jewish people. You are God's image. right? So give your life to God. Don't. Don't have allegiances to other things so you can get your own personal power. And the reason being is that we will only get eternal life. We will only get salvation because of Jesus Christ. We will only be in heaven because of what Jesus has done for us, is doing for us, and will do for us. May you live as the image of God in this world. Go in his peace. Go with his love. Amen. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the wonderful gift of being your image. We know that we're not perfectly your image. And so again, we ask for forgiveness, but we also ask for your Holy Spirit's help to reflect you in the world we live. Lord, help us not to separate things into secular and spiritual, to be people who focus and only on you on certain times of our lives. But loving Father, pour down your Holy Spirit on us and help us to see everything has a purpose, a purpose of sharing you and connecting others with you. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful gift of life and we thank you for the eternal life you've given us. Continue to help us to see the blessings around us and to use them for your glory. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.